are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome to this episode of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host Matt, coming to you on a Monday this time instead of a Tuesday on October 4th, 2021. Uh, we're going to give you a breakdown of how the season wrapped up, where the each division uh, stands, or not stands as it finished. Um, a player from each team that kind of highlighted what we thought you know, the team meant or a team MVP or, or who just impressed us the most from that team. Uh, and then we will do a preview of the two wildcard games, which is going to be from tomorrow night's American League and Wednesday night will be the National League. But before we jump into all that, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Um, uh, my voice is uh, not 100%. I went, to, went down to... Uh, Louisiana I went to the Auburn LSU game on Saturday and that was a lot of fun Auburn got the win for the first time down there in a long long time so uh, I was uh, loud and uh, <laughs> rambunctious on Saturday night and that got me uh, <laughs> I got my voice down a little bit but uh, I still I think it's I think it's good enough to do this episode tonight and, uh, well uh, it was it was a lot of fun and I've been watching some baseball as well and uh, enjoying that enjoying this last week of the season and uh Excited for the playoffs. I think it's going to be a fantastic postseason. A lot of good stories coming in and uh, ready to go. Yeah, this 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 past week was absolutely insane. So, you know, we left you guys last time talking about how there could be a possibility of a five-way tie um, for, you know, that second American League wildcard spot. And then also, you know, the NL West division battle was, you know, down between the Dodgers and the Giants to only a couple games there. Well, going into Sunday – there was still the possibility of a four-way tie in the American League wild card and the possibility of a tie in the National League West. So it it all came to a head pretty much on that Sunday. It was absolutely chaotic. Um, you know, and we'll go ahead and, and start with uh, how the National League East ended up and, and kind of work our way down to that American League picture to keep you guys guessing a little bit. Um, but, you know, the Braves we talked about ended up start winning this division uh, by, what is it? It ended up being... Uh, six and a half games overall after they end up sweeping the, that Philly series. Uh, who was a player from the Braves since it's your team that, that you kind of felt epitomized this Braves team this season? Yeah, well, first off, uh, the Braves, you know, the first half of the season were struggled a little bit, but you can't you can't mention the Braves without mentioning what Ronald Acuna Jr. did for the first half. I, I do want to shout out him real quick because he still was second on the team and wins above replacement, and uh, he really kept them afloat as they struggled in the first half of the season. But, uh, you know, this team wouldn't have gotten to the record they got at 88-73, winning that division without the contributions that Austin Riley made this year. Um, this guy just completely reinvented himself at the plate and took that step forward, breakout season all the way through. Um, he put up a slash line of, uh, you know, a 303 average, which is insane for him, a 367 on base, and a 531 slugging percentage this year hit 33 home runs 107 rbis it's good for a 135 wrc plus and uh he put up over four wins above replacement and what was a true breakout year for the for the young guy and, and in fact his his wins above replacement value on uh baseball reference was over five so um the the defensive metrics really disagreed with with their you know uh, how they analyzed his performance. In fact, uh, baseball reference had him at like 10 defensive runs saved or something, which was really good. 
But, uh, you know, you can't mention the Braves without what Austin Riley did. Hit a fantastic season. And like I say, there is no way they would have been in the position they ended up in without him playing, you know, as well as he did um, coming down the stretch. So a uh, very, very, very good season for Austin Riley. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he's able to continue in the future. But a uh, fantastic job by the Braves finishing off the division. And uh, we'll see what they can do in the postseason. Yeah, especially with Riley, you know, he was a big, big question mark coming into the season about if he should even be up in the major league club as an everyday player. Um, some people were saying he should be in the mate or the minors. Some people said he should just be a bench player and they shouldn't really, you know, have to count on him. And he really stepped up, kind of taking over that everyday third baseman role after they really just didn't have many, you know, many other options play great there. So it's a absolutely fantastic season for Austin Riley. It's been one of the really fun ones to watch because. You could always tell the potential was there. He just, you know, struggled just a little too much with making contact and just looked lost at the plate at times. Um, and, and you know, to really turn around and have a, a, you know, season like this where in most other seasons he'd be, a, you know, possible MVP candidate. It's a, uh, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and, and one other thing, you know, you talk about that that question mark. I, you know, before the season we talked. We'll go into our predictions in a few minutes, but. You know, we talked about how we thought the Braves had a lot of question marks, but the ceiling was really high at every place. They had question marks. They weren't all going to work out, but if a couple of them did, they could end up having, you know, a really good season. And, and that's one of those question marks that it did work out. And that's something that, you know, really propelled them to have their 88 and 73 season they had. But um, moving on, uh, we'll go through the rest of the NL, NL East here. Um, the Phillies, um, Finished second in the division, six and a half games back. They went 82 and 80 this year, um, which, you know, it was their first winning season in a long time. So there was definitely some, uh, you know, some good things they did this year. But, um, you know, you look at the, you know, bullpen pitching and, um, you know, some of their starting rotation in the back end and uh, bottom of their lineup, they just weren't a deep enough team. To, to challenge and, and win this division, even though they got close this year. But who was a player for the Phillies that stood out to you and and uh, how they played this year? It's going to be seem more of like an obvious one. I mean, you could have mentioned guys like Ranger Suarez, who just didn't have as much volume um, as this guy, but that's Zach Wheeler. Uh, you know, came over from the Mets a couple years ago, and, and there was talk at the time, did he deserve the contract that he got? And, you know, Everybody said his peripherals were always so much so good, and that he has another level in there. That can he unlock that another level, um, and can he stay healthy? Well, he pretty much did both of those this year. I mean, a career high two hundred and thirteen innings pitched, a career high in ten point four two strikeouts per nine, a career low of one point nine four walks per nine, um, you know, and a slash line of two seventy eight ERA, which is a career low. Uh, filled in independent pitching of a 259, which is also a career low, um, an XFIP of 284. So every his peripherals backed up what his actual ERA said, and a career high 7.3 WAR. Um, you know, for a good majority of the season, Zach Wheeler was the Cy Young favorite. Um, you know, right there with Corbin Burns and and Max Scherzer. But you know, this this other level that he kind of ticked up to this year it's kind of what everybody thought he had that potential to be just they never knew if he'd be able to unlock it and at his age 31 season in philadelphia he uh he proved them wrong yeah you're absolutely right and um you know the thing that stood out to me with his season was that his strikeout rate jumped he had been over the past couple years a guy who who 
didn't walk a lot of guys. He had pretty good numbers, low ERAs, but uh, the fact that he was able to turn from being a guy who had, uh, you know, last year he had six, it was a short season, but 6.7 strikeouts per nine. He jumped that up over 10 this year, which is the first time he's been over nine in his career um, outside of, I guess, 2014. But um, he, he barely touched nine. But yeah, he, he's a guy who really figured out the out pitch this year. And that took him from being a good pitcher who got the ball on the ground a lot last year to being a guy who not only was getting the ball on the ground a lot, not giving up a lot of hard contact, but also having weak, um, but also having really good, um, you know, I have been able to have that swing and miss stuff too and uh, get those strikeouts that just took him to another level. So a uh, great season for Zach Wheeler. Um, he was really the reason that the Phillies stayed in it till the end of the season, you know, without his contributions, he, you know, they wouldn't have been, I mean, I, there were some other good, good contributors like, like, like you mentioned, Ranger Suarez, but, and uh, you know, the season Bryce Harper had was really good too, but uh, you know, really the reason that, that they took a step, what appeared to be a step forward is that Zach Wheeler just put up a fantastic season. And honestly, you know, you said what was a Cy Young favorite. And I, I do think Corbin Burns probably better for Cy Young, but you know, there might be some voters who, who do go with Zach Wheeler because of the volume. You know, Corbin Burns missed a little bit of time. And uh, although Corbin Burns' value when he did pitch was so much greater that he should get the nod, in my opinion, um, there are going to be guys who like uh, Wheeler's season better. So I wouldn't say it's clear cut that Wheeler doesn't get a doesn't have a shot at it still. No, he absolutely has a shot. I just think it's he's kind of fallen off from the time or, or maybe everybody just stepped their game up more from where they were, you know, at the time. Um, but absolutely great season for Wheeler. But uh, we'll, we'll move over to the, the to the New York Mets right now. And another piece of news that came out today about the New York Mets um, is that their manager, Luis Rojas, had his option declined, which pretty much means that they are no longer going to have him as the manager of the Mets. They have offered to keep him in the in the organization in another role. They haven't specified what that is, um, but the New York Mets will have another manager, um, you know, come next season. So just a little piece of news there, but the, the one player that we kind of thought that, you know, had a season that kind of surprised us when we started looking over these names for the Mets and, and that was Brandon Nimmo. Yeah. Um, you know, first off on the Mets, you look at the fact that, you know, they really collapsed in the second half of the season and it wasn't all the manager's fault. Uh, they had a lot of injuries this year, including the guy I'm about to talk about. Um, you know, missed a lot of time as well, although his he was really good when he did play. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of – there are a lot of issues there, a lot of injuries. Um, you know, some guys underperformed, but um, there's not too much a manager can do about that. But, you know, with the collapse, that doesn't especially surprise me. Um, you know, obviously Luis Rojas did a great job filling in as he was never really the first choice for that job, but with, with Carlos Beltran's issues, um, you know, relating to the, to the scandal in Houston, um, you know, Luis Rojas got kind of forced into that job and, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily do badly, but um, it's not all his fault. Uh, but you look at the Mets and uh, Brandon Nimmo had a fantastic season. Um, he, uh, he played in just 92 games, like I said, cause, cause it's some injuries, but he, uh, you know, he had a great season. Uh, put up uh, a, a 292 average, 401 on base percentage, at 437 slugging was just okay, but 137 WRC plus, 
3.4 wins above replacement. He's actually a pretty good defensive center fielder, which he had never been in his career. Uh, he had been a center fielder, but not, but not good defensively center. Uh, only eight home runs, but, um, you know, again, 92 games. But the, the big thing you look at with Brandon Nemo is the fact that uh, a 14% walk rate, that goes right along with his career so far. Uh, he's a guy who just – he's got fantastic on-base skills. Gets on-base a ton, walks an absolute lot, and uh, while still being able to hit for contact, he's not a great power hitter, but, you know, like I said, eight home runs in 92 games – you know, he can run into him. That's kind of a pace for like 15 or so on a, se- on a full season. Uh, but he's a guy who, you know, was spectacular for them. A really kind of a classic leadoff hitter. So, um, you know, good job for by Brandon Nimmo this year. When he played, it really helped the Mets. But, of course, you know, like I say, missing 92 games didn't help. Um, you know, a couple other guys to mention on that team as well. Jacob deGrom, we talked about him a lot, you know, before his injuries piled up. But he was having a career year. And then uh, Mark uh, Mark Stroman p- pitched really well this year too, um, but you know that's another guy. He, I believe he's a free agent, right? Yeah, he is. He took so, the qualifying offer last year. Yeah. So, so he can't uh, he can't receive the qualifying offer again this year. Right. Either. So he he will not have a draft pick tied to him. Yeah. So uh, Marcus Stroman's a guy who will probably who probably made himself a lot of money with the way he pitched this year. But um, but yeah, you look at a uh, look at Brandon Nimmo, and he was a, a really good bright spot for the Mets on a really rough year, especially down the stretch for them. Yeah, and you mentioned his defense. I just wanted to hit a little bit more on that. You know, in his career, like in twenty twenty in center field, he had a negative five defensive runs saved. Um, in twenty nineteen, negative two. He had positive four this year. And then you look at his UZR, which is another zone rating one. You know, he had been a negative 2.8, negative 1.5, negative 1 or 4.1. He was a 2.8 this year. So he's really, you know, turned into a, a solid defensive center fielder. And that's something that the Mets had already lacked, you know, and already they had a bunch of corner outfielders, which Nimmo was to begin with. Um, but allowing him to slide over center, you know, that finds more at bats for Dom Smith and possibly uh, uh, JD Davis if he plays some left field. Michael Conforto and those guys aren't the greatest defensively. So if Nimmo could be, you know, serviceable in center field, that helps them at least for that, you know, helps out those corner defenders a little bit. But like you said, uh, he, he's got to be able to stay healthy. Uh, if he does, he could be a, a really, really good player for the Mets. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, especially like you say, with his ability to play center um, this year, maybe that continues. And if it does, then that's, they've got a really, really nice looking player there. But uh, moving on, um, you know, we've talked about the, the teams that were really the contenders in this division. Uh, but we can move on now to, to the Miami Marlins, who, you know, made the playoffs last year. But they, and they had some bright spots this year. Uh, they actually had a winning record at home. Uh, their road record was uh, not exactly very good. But, uh, you know, they went 67 and 95. They missed out on the division by 21 games. Um, I believe their run differential is a lot closer than than their, you know, their, their record would typically kind of say it is but um you know a team that they didn't really have the offensive firepower that they needed to be able to take advantage of a fantastic pitching staff and a team also that traded away a lot of guys at the deadline uh including probably the guy who would have been our player we're gonna we talk about for them in uh in um in starling Marte, who was incredible this year but uh, who, what is, who is the player that you want to talk about from, from Miami this year? Yeah, so we could have went with a, a, you know another guy who we've talked about a lot, and that's Sandy Alcantara. But uh, we ended up going with Trevor Rogers instead. He was a rookie this year. 
Uh, 25 games, 133 innings pitched, a 10.62 strikeouts per nine, which is you know really damn good for a rookie. Um, a 264 ERA, a 255 FIP. You know, the XFIP didn't back that up fully with a 354, but I mean, you know, this rotation we'd already talked about before had, you know, the the potential with, you know, Sandy Alcantara, uh, Pablo Lopez, a guy we didn't even see this year in Sixto Sanchez. You know, they had Edward Cabrera down in the minors still that, that's going to come up, who's another top pitching prospect. Max Mayer is another big pitching prospect for them as well. Never really talked about Trevor Rogers, really. And he came in and did a really, really solid job for them and just makes that starting rotation even more, you know, disgusting and fearful for if they can find some offense around that this could be a, a team that can be, make some serious, uh, you know, serious runs here in the close future. Yeah, Trevor Rogers came into this season as a guy who, you know, he was he was a pretty high rated prospect, especially in the system. I think he was top ten in the system and everything, but um, I don't think anybody saw this coming from him. Uh, guy who had pitched a ton in the minor leagues, but had put up really good numbers in the minor leagues. But you know, he had never pitched above Double A until last year when he pitched 28 innings for the for the for the big league club, put up a 6.11 ERA. But this year came out, his velocity was up over last year by almost a full mile per hour. Um, you know, has a devastating slider, good changeup, and uh, you know he just pitched extremely well. Great control uh, compared to kind of what you'd expect for a rookie. Three and eleven walks per nine is really solid for a rookie, um, and uh, he'll continue to improve on that, I believe. And uh, this is a guy who uh, you know has the makings every bit to be a, a really solid major league pitcher in the future. And, and it really, you know, if it wasn't for another guy we're going to talk about in a little while, he would have been a pretty good candidate for for rookie of the year and still is a good candidate for rookie of the year yeah uh sorry i lost track there where were we at yeah you know, we talk about trevor rogers and the marlins but uh you know we can move on next we can we can talk about the the nationals real quick and um you know it's as i mentioned with the marlins you know traded away a lot of guys at the deadline um you know the nationals did as well trading their well, they're arguing, you know, who was at the time arguably their best player, but I think as the second half of the season's gone on, not that Trey Turner after the trade has been bad, but uh, Juan Soto took another step forward. But um, you look at the um, look at the Nationals and uh, 65 and 97, what, what, you know, was, you know, it's hard to call it a really disappointing season because I think a lot of people kind of saw the writing on the wall with the Nationals. And, and probably a decline there, but they did make some moves to try to contend in the offseason. So probably to a lot of people in their minds, that was pretty disappointing. Um, they weren't, they were just kind of hovering around like, you know, a few games under 500 for most of the first half. And then they kind of saw the writing on the wall, traded a bunch of guys away, you know, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, both went elsewhere. But, um, but the nationals did have some bright spots and um, their big bright spot, uh, was um, t- t- to me was Lane Thomas. Um, Lane Thomas is a guy who you know had never really done too much at the major league level. Um, he he didn't really play all that much this year until late in the season. He was one of the guys that kind of came up after after a while. A guy who's played in the uh, Blue Jays uh, organization and and also the Cardinals. He actually played in the big leagues a little bit for the Cardinals. In 2019 and 2020, but this year um, he he got he, he played in the big leagues for really the the first ex- time he's had an extended amount of play time in the big leagues, and 
while he struggled a little bit with the uh, with the Cardinals in the big leagues, he was actually really good with the Nationals. Um, in 206 plate appearances, he hit 270 uh, with a 364 on base, a 489 slugging percentage, um, and he put up a 1.2 wins above replacement. That was just in, that was just in 45 games. So um, you know, late season acquisition for them. I believe they might have gotten him in the Lester trade. Is that is that right? Uh, it most it probably was the lesser trade. Um, now that we're going back and thinking about it, but uh, like you said, Lane Thomas, he's been a you know a serviceable outfielder before, and, and the Nationals were kind of hard to pick somebody with because like you said they traded a bunch of people off. Um, I think the most impressive thing for me is is you know his high on base percentage, but a thirteen percent walk rate. Like you know he's not been somebody that's really walked a lot um, in his career before at the major league level, so uh, you know. Don't know if that's quite sustainable, but maybe he's a he's a little piece that the Nationals could find that as they're entering this rebuild that can be you know solid for him for the next couple of years and get him by until they you know start making that push for winning again. Yeah, no doubt. And um, you know he he wasn't rated poorly as a prospect with the Cardinals. He was their number fourteen prospect before graduating from their system. Um, but you know we'll see. Um, you know, he, he might end up being a guy who ends up being a starter for them at some point. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely definitely got some some potential there. But uh, so that was our our look at the NL East. Um, Damien, you said you had our predictions for the NL East from preseason up. What what did those look like? I know I picked the Braves before the season, not exactly for the reasons that they ended up winning the division four, but yeah. Um, so we both actually our top threes were identical we both picked the braves um to win the division we both picked the mets to finish second and then the phillies to finish third um in the division uh and then i ended up putting the marlins for fourth and the nationals fifth and you had the nationals fourth and the marlins fifth um so we had the top three teams right and we or you know and then we had pretty much the bottoms two just just flipped but uh or sorry, we didn't have the top three. We had the teams for the top three, right? But we had the two and three flipped. Um, and, you know, for a while it looked like the Mets were going to be a team that was maybe going to finish second. So they just collapsed. So overall, I mean, it, it's not our worst predictions, which you'll come to hear uh, just, just shortly here, but uh, pretty solid. You know, at least we have the division winner there. Yeah. I think our reasoning was, was pretty good on these. Uh, just, you know, the fact the Mets ended up with so many injuries there, they probably would have finished second. Um, or maybe still first, but um, you know they had so many injuries this year that it did keep them out of out of the having a you know a, a winning record and, and having a really good season. So, um, but we'll um, we'll move on. Uh, look at the NL Central now, and uh, the champion of the NL Central was the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, who would you like to talk about from the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah. So guy we haven't talked about as much for the Brewers you know we've talked all year long about uh, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff but that's the the year that Freddie Peralta had you know he'd been a guy who they'd bounce back and forth between the the bullpen and the rotation and they weren't quite sure what he was going to give them and you kind of start saw flashes last year and you know even though it was only in 29 games but he had you know a 399 year rate doesn't look that great but the the peripherals a 241 and a 323 fib and xfib uh, and they kind of moved him back to the rotation this year, not quite sure what to expect. Uh, but, you know, he came back with a 281 ERA, uh, t- uh, 312 FIP, a 366 XFIP, and 144 innings. 
I mean, Freddie Peralta making that rotation just even you know nastier. It's not one that you want to face those top three with very often, uh, and you know Peralta just makes that even a scarier one-two-three punch. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you look at this 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 team, and um, you know there was some there was a bunch of guys we could go with because you know like like we talked about last week, we were talking about them having clinched. Um, you know, our question marks coming into the season were offense and. There are a few guys that really took a step forward on offense for them as well, but um, you know we've talked about we talked about them a bit last week, especially Willie Adamas. But I mean, you look at Freddie Peralta and this rotation, as good as the top two were, and we knew that coming into the season. I don't know if we knew that uh, Corbin Burns was going to be quiet this, but we knew he was going to be good, and and obviously we did think Woodruff would be this, but um, I think we looked at um, when we looked at uh, you know them, we we thought. They really needed a third guy, uh, maybe even a fourth guy. They, they needed some improvement in, in their depth in their rotation, and, and this is just a perfect example of how that can happen. I mean, Peralta is a guy who, you know, in the past has been pretty good, you know, in, in his rookie year, a 372 FIP, although he had a 425 ERA. In um, his last couple of years, I mean, he's, already, he's always put up huge strikeout numbers in his big league career, just haven't been able to put a full season together. Um, and he's also pitched out of the bullpen a lot at times. So being able to come out as a starter this year, put up the season he put up, um, you know, was an all-star, did a fantastic job this year. And he really made that – he really made that team – that was a big difference in that team being a, you know, 90-ish, you know, 85 to 90-win team that was in a really tight battle for that division and being the, the champion of that division with the 95 wins and being the two seed in the playoffs. So uh, very, very good season for Peralta. And he's a major reason why the, the Brewers were able to, to pull out that division, which was probably better than a lot of people expected that division to be. Yeah. And he's going to be a big reason if they make a, uh, a run in this postseason. he's going to have to be a big contributor for them as well. Absolutely. But let's go ahead and jump over to the team that finished third or second in this division. Sorry. And that's a uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, you know, they got that wild card berth uh, facing the Dodgers, which we'll break down a little bit, but the guy that they, uh, the guy that really stood out to me, you know, we could have talked about Goldschmidt. We've talked a lot about Tyler O'Neill this year. Um, Harrison Bader may have had a, a really good season becoming a, a better threat offensively, but rookie Dylan Carlson, you know, we saw him come up and make, you know, and they extended playoffs right at the end of last year and make a little bit of a run in there. And he looks solid, but what did you think about Dar- Dylan Carlson this year? Yeah, uh, Dylan Carlson did some really good things for them this year. Uh, he's a guy who, who was top prospect coming in. Um, and, you know, I, for some reason it just felt to me like people didn't talk about him becoming a, you know, fantastic player, you know, and as, as soon as he has, I, I don't know why. I mean, he's a top 15 prospect and put up great numbers in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, it, it didn't really make that much sense to me that nobody really seemed to believe in him too much coming into the season or really talk about him. But, um, I mean, he, he had a great season, um, you know, played 149 games, 619 plate appearances, got a lot of valuable experience with that. Um, you know, hit 266 with a 343 on base, a 437 slugging percentage. Uh, good for two and a half wins above replacement. Um, you know, the walk rate was solid, 9% walk rate. He saw the ball well. The strikeouts are probably a little high, but, you know, as a rookie, 24.6%, something that you can deal with. It'll come down a little bit over time as he gets more experience. Um, you know, 18 home runs, 113 WRC+. Plus. Good numbers there. 
Um, you know, he's a guy who is athletic. He's, he's, he's a good prototypical corner outfield type guy who I think is going to be a really solid uh, to above average and, and maybe even at some point an all-star level player in, in the in a corner outfield there in, um, in St. Louis for a long time. So uh, good-looking rookie season for him. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that, that St. Louis did as well as they did, especially down the stretch, is the depth that they had that we didn't really see that coming into the season. We saw a, you know, an all-star player at third base in Arenado. We saw an all-star player in um, Paul Goldschmidt at first base, an all-star level player. And we saw some veteran lead- that veteran leaders around the diamond as well and, and on the mound, but you didn't see all the depth that they had. They ended up, you know, with Harrison Bader putting up a great offensive season. They ended up with Tyler O'Neill putting up a great offensive season. And, uh, you know, those guys have been talked about a lot. And, and you know, T- Dylan Carlson's been, been a guy who's just added a lot of depth to that lineup, and that's been really good for the Cardinals. So um, good for them. They're going to be able to play in that wild card game, so we'll, we'll discuss them a little bit more here in a bit. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals, uh, you know, 90 wins, really solid season. Um, I think there were a lot of people who did kind of think they had a shot at the playoffs, but I don't know if too many people expected them to be a 90-win team this year. And uh, some veteran resurgence and uh, and some of the young guys that contributing have, have really led to that. So um, good for uh, you know good for the Cardinals. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump to the to the third place team here. It's a team that we thought were you know they were in the hunt for the wild card a lot longer than many teams probably expected this year. And, you know that that's the Cincinnati Reds, and one of the main reasons behind that was the uh, the breakout of Jonathan India this year of being a uh, you know really solid major league player, a guy who had never been above Double A, um, you know before 2019, didn't play at all in 2020. Um, I think he might have been at the alternate camp, but you know didn't get any time in the majors. And then they pretty much relied on him as the everyday second baseman this year, 150 games. Uh, you know, a 269 average, a 376 on base, a 459 slugging. I mean, 21 homers, 98 runs, 69 runs batted in. I mean, he was a leadoff guy for him. 12 stolen bases, a WRC plus of 122, and a an overall season WAR of 4.0. It's not a bad rookie season, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think this is the guy who, to a lot of people, will end up being rookie of the year. Um, although you could still argue for Trevor Rogers, in my opinion, but um, this guy, uh, he's been incredible. I mean, he, he puts up good at bats. I mean, you look at a rookie having an 11% walk rate over a full season. That's really, really solid. He obviously is, has a good approach at the plate, real discipline there. Um, you know, his strikeouts were, you know, 22% a little bit high, but it's not, but it's not, you know, too, too bad. But uh, he, you know, hit 21 home runs, hit for some power. Um, you know, the own base skills are really what put him forward and also played a good, good infield too. Um, he's a guy who can move around the diamond a little bit. I think he played mostly second base this year, Yeah. but, uh, you know, in college he played third base and he's at times played, um, at times he's played, um, you know, it played at shortstop too. I think they tried him at least in the minor leagues at shortstop. So, uh, definitely a, a really solid looking player, uh, guys that they can build around, um, and uh, fantastic stuff by uh, by uh, by Jonathan India this year. Yeah, it was a, a real breakout and a real big push for that Reds that team that you know probably yeah. expected more from a Mustakis and Suarez and, and stuff. Yeah. India probably shouldn't have even been the the main second baseman, you know, yeah. with Mustakis there. But 
Yeah, and and one more thing with the Reds, you know, they went 83 and 79. Uh, I think you do have to mention the breakouts, or, or really the not not necessarily breakouts, also, but just some of the kind of career renaissance we saw from them. You know, you saw um, you saw uh, Joey Votto come back and have a really good season. Um, you saw Castellanos, who struggled a lot last year, come back and have a really good season. So, um, you know, the Reds definitely had some good things going for them offensively, which was their downfall last year. But uh, they just weren't able to get it done when it mattered the most late in the season as they had a real shot at that wild card late. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. So, uh, But moving on, uh, the next team here, Another one of those teams that really struggled but tra- traded off a lot of pieces at the deadline. And, and by a lot of pieces, I mean a lot of pieces. It was finally that fire sell we were looking for this year. Uh, but that would be the uh, Chicago Cubs. They did have one player in the second half on their 71-91 uh, and 91 season that uh, <laughs> really showed off and uh, showed out. Yeah, that player's uh, Frank Schwindel or Schwindel. I don't know exactly how to say it. Um, but you know, he's a guy who they acquired in the Andrew Chafin trade from the Oakland A's um, right around the deadline right there. And he had played six games in the majors with Kansas City in 2019. was not good. I mean, at .067 on, or on base and batting average. I mean, he didn't have one walk at all and, you know, didn't really expect much from him. He's an older guy or older prospect, I should say, at 29 years old and got a, a you know, a real opportunity when they traded Anthony Rizzo away to kind of be the everyday first baseman. And he didn't really disappoint at all. I mean, he came in in, in 259 plate appearances, hit 14 homers, um, 44 runs, 43 RBIs, a couple stolen bases, you know, a 6.2 walk percentage is it's decent, a 15.8 strikeout percentage isn't too bad, a 326 average, a 371 on base. I mean, a it's good for a, a 152 WRC plus and a season war of 2.1, um, you know, in 64 games, it's not too bad. And, you know, the Cubs are, like we said, they entered that fire sale. They're, they're going to call it a retooling, but it's pretty much they're a rebuilding. Um, you know, they're going to try and spend some money this off season, but you know, maybe Schwindel gets that first baseman job for a little while. I mean, like I said, he is an older one at 29, but you know, bunch of team control left and maybe you find find a solid piece for you know the team going forward yeah i absolutely expect him to end up getting that that nod at uh at um at first base next year after this part the, the season he put up since getting up to the big leagues with the uh with the uh with the cubs but man that his stats with the cubs just incredible after getting called back up um you know like, like you said the, the well he had 13 homers with the cubs he had one with the a's but um just 342 average, 389 on base, and a 613 slugging. It's just incredible. And you look at a guy who, at first base, played played a pretty good first base. Um, and you know, you, you look at him going forward as a guy who he might he might really be a guy the Cubs can, can count on, late bloomer type prospect. Uh, really, pretty good as a prospect. I mean, he's hit at every level of the minor leagues, everywhere he's been, um, and he's been in AAA for a long time. So. Um, you know, maybe a late late bloomer, a guy maybe like like a, a little bit like a Garrett Cooper or somebody like that who ends up at you know in their upper twenties getting the, getting that call up, um, getting it and figuring it out to a certain level and uh, becoming a really useful player. I don't expect him to put up a three twenty six average in the future and uh, and put up tons of home runs and stuff, but I think he'll be a solid 
solid player who could be an everyday first baseman in the future and um, something that the Cubs got for just Andrew Chafin. And that, that's a really nice, really nice pickup for them. Um, I believe that's who they got, got him for was Andrew Chafin. Yeah, it was. But, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just got him for just a reliever is all it took to get him. And um, really nice, really nice pickup for them. And I think he's going to be, you know, a guy to watch going forward for a team that, like you said, definitely on the downswing going into rebuild mode we'll see what they do in the offseason um they might end up picking up some guys but i mean definitely uh definitely a team that i don't look forward to being some kind of you know contender anytime soon but uh moving on the final team in this division and the first team we'll talk about that lost 100 games um is the uh, pittsburgh pirates they went 61 and 101 and uh they did have a uh you know, they, they traded away a bunch of guys at the, at the deadline, but they did keep one who had a fantastic season, a breakout season. And, uh, you know, we'd like to talk about Brian Reynolds. So what, what did you think of Brian Reynolds' season? Yeah, Brian Reynolds' season was, it was nice. You know, we had seen flashes of this, like his 2019 season. He had, you know, a pretty similar stat line, you know, with a 314 average, a 377 on base and a 130 WRC plus, but he just, you know, 2020 was a real down year. Kind of everyone started losing faith in him again. And he, uh, he bounced back in, you know, 2021 with, you know, 159 games, uh, you know, 646 plate appearances, 24 home runs, you know, 93 runs, 90 RBIs, you know, 302 average, 390 on base percentage. So he even got on base by walking a little bit more, you know, 142 WRC plus a 5.7 war. You know, he was a guy who people aggressively tried to get at the trade deadline from the Pirates, and, and they decided to hold on to him, and they want him to kind of be one of their, you know, stars of the future when they, uh, you know, start trying to win in the next couple of years. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, you look at uh, you look at his season, and he, he upped his power, and that was a big thing. His plate discipline was, was improved, and his power was improved. Um, he hit the ball harder than he has. And, um, you know, you look at his uh, 142 WRC plus, it's nice. And, and, and honestly, at 5.7 war, um, you know, if the Pirates were any good, um, you know, he could be, he could have been considered a, a realistic MVP candidate. With You know, he was less than a he was less than a full or he was about right at a point from a, a one win above replacement from being from leading the league he was definitely he was top 10 and wins above replacement he, he had a really really great year and not enough people talked about brian reynolds just because he was on the 101 lost pirates but he's definitely a piece for them going forward or if they want to move him um you know he could get a king's ransom with the amount of control he has left so um really kind of kick all you know help supplement that rebuild kind of be a a key piece of you know get a key piece of um you know the really do you know get up get a huge package in return for him so uh we'll see what they end up doing with with brian reynolds um but i like what i saw from him this year and you know he was i think he was the only guy to hit more than 10 home runs on pirates or to be in double digits at all so um you know that's pretty incredible that i'm you know in 2021 a major league baseball team only had one team one but one guy i'm not sure if that was the case but um i think that was the he was the only guy with with double digit home runs for them this year so um, that's, uh, oh, Colin Moran had 10, exactly. So I guess, I guess Colin Moran was, also had double digits, but either way, um, uh, and Gregory Polanco had 11, but either way, I mean, that was, um, that was pretty poor, uh, poor showing from the Pirates this year, and, and Brian Reynolds was 
absolutely an easy bright spot for them. Yeah, he really was. Uh, looking at the NL Central, you know, preseason predictions, we both had the Brewers winning the division. Um, where we came up wrong was we both had the Cubs finishing second, uh, the Cardinals third, the Reds fourth, um, and then we did have the Pirates, uh, you know, rounding out this division. But kind of like we both were a little higher on the Cubs, thought maybe they weren't going to do the fire still all the way, and that, you know, the Reds wouldn't have the bounce back or, or you know, breakouts of you know, Jonathan India, renaissance of Joey Votto and some of their pitching staffs like Wade Miley being better and that the Cardinals just wouldn't find that Cardinal magic and find some way to, you know, win 17 straight games. I don't think any, I don't think we could have predicted that at any point in the preseason for sure, but yeah, you know, it, it's not too bad of a, a, a prediction for sure. We have a lot worse. Yeah. Well, when you, when you look at the Cubs dude, you know, they had worst case scenario um, performances from a lot of their guys like Kyle Hendricks took a step back um, you look at the, um, you know, you, you look at uh, Zach Davies took a huge step back, guy that they got in that trade. Uh, none of their young guys really came up and took a step forward on the mound. They did have some good bullpen performances. Craig Kimbrell did really well before the trade. But, you know, they were – and they could have finished with a much better record than they did. But, um, you know, the fact that they, you know, they had to trade those guys um, – you know, at the deadline, just being a little under 500, they they really had to do that because they probably weren't going to pass the Brewers, and I don't think they could have won enough games to get into the wild card. But um, but it, it was definitely disappointing for them. But uh, everywhere else, I mean, I think everyone else finished with pretty similar records to what we expected. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't especially expect the Cardinals to get 90 wins, but I, I did expect them to be just you know around 500. But, uh, you know, kind of take the Cardinals, the wins that we gave the Cubs and give them to the Cardinals, and there you go. So uh, definitely a good season um, for the Brewers and, and the Cardinals with that magical September. Um, you know, congratulations to them. And uh, we'll see what this division is going forward. This is going to be an interesting division to look at in the next few years because, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the Cubs rebuild goes and, um, you know, what the Brewers can do to uh, – to supplement their their pitching staff in the future so yeah let's jump over to the nl west um and we'll kind of go a little bit quicker through these uh finish out this because i know we're already really long and we want to be able to spend some time breaking down the uh the wild card games for you guys but you know the giants they won this division pretty shocking to everybody i think they ended up with what 107 wins on the season uh, i don't think anybody ever saw that coming but uh, a big breakout guy that, that they had, you know, Buster Posey had a you know career renaissance as well. Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt both were big contributors for them. But the main guy that they had, uh, you know, give them some really solid contributions was Darren Ruff. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, started his career in Philadelphia, then actually went over to the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, and spent three years over there before coming back in 2020 to the giants. He was solid last season as well, but at 34 this year, you know, 312 plate appearances. He was a part of a platoon for a little while, but a 271 average, a 385 uh, on base, a 519 slugging 144 WRC plus and a, a 2.5 war. It's just kind of the, the method that the giants, you know, have found of, of players that they know can do things well and will only exploit what they can do well. And, and, you know, they've kind of found that with rough of being a platoon player and not running him out there too much, but uh, he'll give them some pretty solid at bats. If you can uh, you know, keep that up. Yeah. Looking at Darren rough. One thing that 
stood out to me was the fact that after he got back from Korea, um, his, um, you know, he, he had become a lot more patient at the plate. And, uh, you know, 15% walk rate this year was big for him. He's always been a guy with power, but being able to pair that with some, some plate discipline and some patience really, really took him to the next level, made him into a really good player. But uh, 107 wins from the Giants this year was pretty shocking, um, to say the least. But uh, second place in the division by, by one game was the 106-win Dodgers. Um, you know, that, and, and they had a fantastic season. You know, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to call a 106-win season a disappointment, but, um, you know, not winning that division, definitely disappointing for them. But uh, who did you, obviously, as a Dodger fan, you've got your eye on them all the time. Who did you pick for, for the Dodgers kind of, um, you know, shout out this, this year? I went with AJ Pollock. Uh, he's a guy who that offseason where Bryce Harper was a free agent. You know, of course, every Dodger fan wanted Bryce Harper, and they ended up getting AJ Pollock. And a lot of people didn't like that and the contract they gave him and said that it was an overpay. And you know, he had always battled injuries and he struggled in 2019. But the the past couple of years, he's had a really good year or a couple seasons. Um, and this year's no shortage. I mean, 117 games, so he still missed a lot of time, but. You know, 21 homers, you know, 53 runs, 69 RBIs, a 297 average, a 355 on base, a 536 slugging, you know, a 137 WRC plus and a 3.1 war, which is, you know, one to like what, fifth or sixth overall on the team. And you look how stacked this team is. And for him to be, you know, sixth on this team for contributions so far, you know, through the, the batters, when you have guys like Chris Taylor and, um, you know, Cody Bellinger that are lower and, and guys who should definitely be ahead of him. He kind of Pollock looks more like a bargain now than anything. And he's been, I don't know if the team would be where they are right now. If it wasn't for Pollock for, you know, a month or two of that season, he was the best player overall with Mookie struggling and Seager out and Bellinger out as well. So big shout out to AJ Pollock for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, moving on, um, you know, Dodgers great season. Um, you know, Shocking that they didn't win the division, but I guess, you know, you went 106 games, so you did all you could. It's just the fact yeah. that the Giants were so crazy this year. Yeah. But uh, I do want to move on quickly here. The Padres uh, this year, uh, you know, super disappointing season for them. Um, it seemed like nothing they – they you know, nothing worked out for them. Um, you know, in, in general, you know, they did have a great season from Tatis that, you know, possible MVP season. But um, the one guy that, that really stood out to me, kind of a, I guess, a breakout year, although he was really good last year too, but uh, Joe Musgrove had, had a really good year. Um, you know, in 181 innings, 31 starts, uh, he put up a 318 ERA. Uh, he, you know, had a great strikeout rate, cut his walk rate a lot from last year, which was really impressive. Um, you know, his peripherals were, were good, maybe not quite as good as they were last year, honestly, with the peripheral-wise, uh, 370 FIP. 365 X FIP did put up 3.3 wins above replacement. Uh, really good season for him. He was really one of the bright spot, the only bright spot of the new guys they brought in. Um, you know, a lot of their guys kind of just really struggled. Blake Snell struggled. Um, you Darvish struggled and, and dealt with injury. Both of those guys really dealt with injuries, but, but, but mainly Darvish. Uh, Donelson Lamette was so good last year. He, um, you know, he dealt with his injuries for, for a lot of the year. Didn't ever, didn't ever figure it out. Ended up pitching out of the bullpen. 
Um, you know, and offensively, they, they were really solid, but it was kind of the same key contributors that we've been talking about with them for a while. So uh, definitely wanted to shout out Joe Musgrove. Also threw the, their, you know, the no-hitter uh, early in the season. That, that was almost a perfect game. So uh, great season for Joe Musgrove. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Musgrove coming home to San Diego is a feel-good story for sure. But we'll move over to Colorado now. Uh, you know, a team we kind of expected to be a little bit worse even than they were. But the player that we kind of caught our eye was CJ Crone. Uh, you know, a guy who had bounced around the past couple years. You know, finally found an everyday job here in Colorado, and he didn't disappoint one bit. 28 homers and 547 plate appearances. You know, 70 RBIs, 92 or 70 runs, sorry, 92 RBIs, a 281 average, 370. Five on base percentage, a 530 slugging, a 127 WRC plus, and a 2.4 WAR. Um, you know, could have did maybe Ryan McMahon, but he struggled more towards the second half. And Trevor Story, we all know Trevor Story already. But look for CJ Crone. We'll talk more about him in the off season for sure because uh, this performance this year is going to make him a lot more money when he hits the free agent market this off season. Yeah, yeah, you talk about C.J. Crone, and this is his fifth season in five years, and um, this was his best career season. And, he, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me is the fact that he, he's been more patient this year uh, at the plate. And, uh, you know, while, while striking out even a little bit less than he has in his career, and, um, you know, that combined with the fact that he's now hitting in Coors uh, really helped out, put put up, helped him put up a really good season this year. Um, but... Uh, and Colorado, encouraging year for them, honestly, because I don't think anybody really expected them to end up, you know, being 70, even having 74 wins. I mean, they could have had 75. They, they only played 161 games with that game that got canceled. So uh, definitely um, a little bit of an encouraging season for the Rockies. They had some bright spots, and, and C.J. Crone was one of, the, one of the biggest bright spots for them. But uh, moving on to a team that there really weren't many bright spots this year. Um <laughs> And that would be the uh, team that finished 55 games out of first place and tied for the worst record in the majors, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, as, a, as somebody who's watched them a lot this year, um, who would you uh, who would you look at from the Arizona Diamondbacks? Yeah, if the only other person, I mean, the, the big one's going to be Cattell Marte, but the the main one that we wanted to hit on was going to be Josh Rosa, uh, Rojas. He, you know. Like you said, there's not many bright spots, so these these stats aren't going to look great. But for what he did this year for them, he was consistent. You know, a 264 average, a 341 on base, a 102 WRC plus. So he was a, you know, an above average hitter for this this team who was not above average in pretty much anything, um, and a 2.2 WAR. You know, a lone bright spot for him. Maybe they, you know, can get some other solid things, but from them, but a hundred lost team. I mean, you're not going to really find you know, many bright spots for him. So Josh Rojas is somebody that he'll be solid for him going forward. And, you know, maybe he might be there when they are, uh, you know, age 27 when they're getting good right at the tail end. But yeah, de definitely a guy that looks like a potential, you know, bench player at the major league level. And uh, in his career has been a, a solid defender before this year, which he was took a little bit of a step back there. But, you know, with defensive metrics, they can be kind of inconsistent. So, uh, you know, encouraging to see a guy like him put up a two wins above replacement season, which, you know, kind of equates to a, a solid everyday player. So, um, you know, maybe a guy that they can they can have going forward or if he kind of puts this up again next year, they could maybe trade him at the deadline. Yeah. So, so go just look at the division uh, prediction standings we had so far or you know, for the NL West is 
you had the Padres winning the division, the Dodgers second, Giants third, Diamondbacks fourth, and the Rockies fifth. Um, and I had the Dodgers winning it with the Padres second, um, D-backs third, actually. I had the Giants fourth in this division, so shame on me for uh, underrating them so much and then the Rockies bringing it up. Yeah, so. yeah everyone ever, everyone underrated the Giants. I mean, the, most of the projection systems. I saw one the other day had them on 74 wins. Yeah. So, I mean, they won 107 games. Just an unbelievably insane season for them. And um, I don't think everyone, anyone really expected the Diamondbacks to be as bad as they were. I don't think anybody expected them to be a playoff team or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think you kind of flip-flopped them and the Rockies is kind of what people expected coming in. But uh, definitely, um, you know, definitely a tough season for them. But uh, a really wild season in the NL West. And like I said, you know, the, the disappointment of the of the Padres and the, in the you know, the shocking season from the Giants really is a big – really was a big surprise this year and that was one of the more topsy-turvy divisions all year but uh moving on um we're gonna look at the al east real quick uh this was probably the most interesting division in baseball this year and the winner was the 100 win Tampa bay rays um so shout out to them that was their best ever regular season uh win by, by winning percentage or by win totals uh and um who, who are we shouting out from the rays we're going to shout out Brandon Lau um, from the Tampa Bay Rays, second baseman. You know, you kind of saw the power breakout in the um, postseason last year. He kind of carried them for a little bit of that time, him and uh, Randy Rosarena. But this year he kind of backed that up, you know, 39 homers, uh, 97 runs, 99 RBIs. The average doesn't look great at 247, but a 340 on-base percentage, a 523 slugging, a 137 WRC plus, and a, a 5.3 war. This is kind of a, a very Tampa Bay Rays type player. They find some, just players who can do things great. You know, he's not going to hit for high average, but he's going to play a solid second base. He's going to hit for a lot of power um, be, and just be a solid overall player and get them, you know, that that's how they continuously do it. So uh, shout out Brandon Lau. Yeah, you talk about him as a guy who, um, you know, we expected him you know, he, he had a great year last year. We expected him to be really, really good this year. And uh, people were asking what was wrong with him after the first half of the season. And then he ended up putting up a 5.3 wins above replacement year. So uh, just t- doing raise things there. Um, second place in this division, the Red Sox finished at 92 and 70. They are the wild card one as they tied with the Yankees, but I believe had the better uh, head-to-head record this season. So, um, you know, the Red Sox ended up there. And uh, for, for their season, we wanted to shout out the uh, former Dodger, uh, Kike Hernandez, who put up a, his best season of his career, um, you know, playing in more of an everyday role there. Um, you know, he put up a, uh, you know, four, four wins above replacement, which was really, really, really solid. He's always been a good defender, 9.6 defensive value, um, you know, good base runner, does everything well. Um, you know, the thing that stood out this year, you know, he really improved his walk rate over his last two years in, in L.A. Um, you know, he's never been a high average guy, mainly because, the, you know, the batting average on balls in play. But 20 home runs this year, a 250 average, 337 on base, 449 slugging, a 110 WRC plus. And like I said, that 4.0 w, uh, war was was really, really solid for Kike Hernandez and definitely the best of his career. So. Uh, great pickup from the Boston Red Sox and, and belief in him as an everyday player where, you know, after he was kind of a bench player for his entire career so far. Yeah, this this season kind of rivals his 2018 year with the Dodgers where he kind of got that more of that everyday role. Um, 
And I mean, you look at a lot of the stats and they're almost identical across the board. And so really good to see Kike thriving. You know, he's a person that I hated seeing the Dodgers lose, but uh, I knew he was going to be able to, to do something special with, uh, with Boston, especially with that connection with Alex Cora for sure. But we'll go ahead and jump over to the New York Yankees now. And this one was a, a little bit more difficult because, you know, we have Garrett Cole and then all of their hitters that, you know, that did well, you expect to do well. So the guy that we really wanted to shout out is uh, Jonathan Loisaga. Uh, he kind of fell into that high leverage role that they had kind of put Chad Green in the past couple of years. High leverage guy that can pitch multiple innings at a time. Uh, you know, a former starter that they're throwing into the bullpen. Uh, a really great season, a, a 2.17 ERA, a, a 258 FIP, a 3.15 X FIP, um, and 70 innings pitched with a uh, an 8.79 Ks per nine and a 2.04 walks per nine. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Wisek is a guy that I remember watching him when he first came up um, and thinking, man, this guy actually has a chance to be really good, and then he's just kind of been stuck in the mud for a few years as a big leaguer. But, uh, you know, this year they kind of put him in a new role as a, as a full-time bullpen guy, and he was fantastic. Um, you know, you mentioned the, those, those numbers, but the, the number that stands out to me is the 61% ground ball rate, um, which is really good for a guy who – um, you know, who is able to get as many strikeouts, you know, as he does and limit the walks like he does. It's very difficult to to put up that kind of ground ball percentage and get swings and misses. So, um, you know, uh, like you said, the 258 FIP is incredible, 217 ERA. And he, he also improved his fastball velocity by a full mile per hour. He's, he's averaging over 98 mile per hour on his fastball now. So uh, definitely a breakout year for him um, and a big piece of that bullpen that at times has not looked as good this year as they have in the past few years. So uh, great year for uh, – or great game. Uh, great year for Jonathan Luizaga, and uh, we'll see if he's able to continue this form moving on into the postseason because they're going to need it in that wild card game. But uh, moving on, um, you know, the fourth place team, which kind of sucks to call them a fourth place team because they won 91 games, but um, yeah, uh, the, is the Toronto Blue Jays finished fourth, missed the playoffs in about one game behind the Yankees and Red Sox, and uh, they had a great season. And uh, who would you want to shout out from them? Yeah, so the, the guy we're going to shout out, we've talked about him a lot the past couple of weeks, but that's Robbie Ray. I mean, you could have went with Marcus Simeon, but we kind of knew that. I mean, Vlad had a breakout, but, you know, he's been a top prospect. We've talked a lot about him as well. But Robbie Ray, for sure, you know, somebody that they traded for last year at the uh, deadline from Arizona and kind of had that breakout this year. He finally, you know, was able to drop that walks per nine down a little bit. He had a, a you know, his career is 3.95 walks per nine. He had a 2.47 this year. He's always been somebody who could strike a lot of people out, and he kept that up this year with over 11 Ks per nine, a 2.84 ERA. The expected numbers aren't as great, you know, an expected ERA of 3.54 and a FIP of 3.69, but a, a 3.9 WAR season, which is you know 0.6 better than any season he's had in his career. He's most likely the Cy Young favorite. Uh, he'll ba- probably be battling Garrett Cole with that one, but you know, Robbie Ray is a, a guy who. It kind of was the most shocking to us out of everything that happened with the Blue Jays this year that he was this good. So I wanted to give a, give the nod to Robbie Ray for sure. Yeah, no doubt. He was fantastic this year. Um, you know, you, I, I really liked what I saw from him. Um, you know, and, and like I said, like you said, the, the big difference for him was the improvement in that walk rate. Just a crazy, crazy improvement after last year looking so lost on the mound. And, uh, you know, to be able to put up what he did this year, um, 
definitely the best season of his career, and, and, and a guy who for a long time has looked like a guy who could potentially have a late career breakout. But um, you know, great season from Robbie Ray. He definitely, uh, I believe this was he was on a one year deal, so this, he'll definitely make himself some money in the off season. But uh, the last place team here, and as you would expect with a uh, team that a division that had four teams with over 90 wins, the last place team had a miserable season. Um, and uh, their season was, or that, that team was the Baltimore Orioles. They went 52 and 110. They actually did get the number one pick in the draft this for the, for, for next year. So that's that's some good news for them. But um, and they and they had a, a fantastic breakout player. Yeah, they had a uh, Cedric Mullins is, is the guy that we're going to shout out. You know, you could have went with Ryan Mountcastle as well, but Cedric Mullins just a fantastic year, a 30-30 year, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, 91 runs. Um, you know, a guy 291 average, 360 on base, a 518 slugging, a 136 WRC plus, 5.3 WAR even. And uh, you know, his defensive value isn't as great as what we would think it probably should be for somebody with his speed, but. You know, really solid season. I mean, 30 home runs from a guy whose career high in the majors before was four home runs, you know, in 191 at-bats. So he definitely found his power stroke somehow this year. Yeah, fantastic year for him. Uh, gave up switch hitting, and I believe that was kind of the springboard for him uh, this year. Kind of just always hit lefty. Really helped his uh, really – really helped him out kind of concentrating on his strong, his strong side. But uh, we'll move on. Um, what was – you know, looking at our predictions, um, you know, I believe we both picked the Yankees, right? Yeah, so we uh, we both picked the Yankees to win, and then from there it pretty much gets shuffled around. You had the Blue Jays in second, the Rays in third, the Red Sox in fourth, and then the Orioles in fifth. I had the Yankees winning, the Rays in second, the Blue Jays in third, and then I actually had the Orioles in fourth and the Red Sox in fifth. I was not very high on the Red Sox coming into this year, and uh, they, uh, they definitely put the – put the uh the big old boston beating back to me and then showed themselves into that wild card but um you know let down from the yankees we both expected the rays to be right there and you were a little higher on the blue jays than i was yeah definitely uh definitely an interesting season in the uh al east and uh a season that you know turned out turned out really really entertaining but um moving on let's talk real quick about the al central uh the champion in this division and we probably won't spend much time at all in this division because most of these teams are really bad but the white Sox had a great season won the division um and uh you know i think uh the primary reason for that was their pitching staff and their pitching staff was led by a guy who was not tendered in the off season and that's Carlos Rodon. Uh, it was, you know, we had a good choice on who we could pick from there. Uh, there were a bunch of guys who we could, you, you could have potentially picked from the White Sox pitching staff. But Carlos Rodon in 132 innings, he did deal with some injuries down the stretch, but put up a 2.37 ERA with a 2.65 FIP and a 3.17 X FIP. That is for good for 4.9 wins above replacement on the season. And um, this is from a guy who was non-tendered in the offseason, put up an 8.22 ERA last year in, in just a few innings, and, uh, you know, had never broken four, a four ERA as a full-time starter. So uh, definitely a fantastic breakout season from Carlos Rodon. Yeah, we, you know, we could have went with Dylan Cease, but Rodon just had too good of a year, and we think he deserved the nod, even though we've talked about him so much. Just it's a fantastic story the, of what he was able to do. and most likely going to make himself some decent money in the free agency this offseason. So 
But let's go ahead and, and jump over to the the Cleveland Indians or Guardians or whatever you want to call them. I guess now that the season's over, they're going to be officially started calling the Guardians. I would guess, but uh, you know the the pit the player that we ended up going with was one of their main pieces from that Francisco Lindor trade last year, and that's uh, Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, Ahmed Rosario had a good season. Um, you know, he's a guy that you know needs to. He's a guy that can be a, a solid everyday player if he does everything right um, and, and, has, and and does all the does all the small things. But and this year, you know, he, he he's a limited ceiling as a hitter. He only hit you know 282 with a 321 on base, 409 slugging, uh, 11 home runs. But uh, you know that's good for about a league average hitter. But what he does extremely well has always been defense and base running. 13 stolen bases, uh, positive base running metrics, really solid defense. Put up, you know, put up 588 plate appearances this year. That's something that was a struggle for him last year, uh, staying healthy even over a, small, a shortened season. Uh, but he was able to put up a uh, career best uh, 2.7 WAR. Actually, I think it's, it's the second best by 0.1 WAR. But he put up a really solid season with a, with a 2.7 WAR. Definitely showed himself to be a, a solid everyday regular at shortstop. And um, you know there might be something to unlock there in the future if he can continue to grow as a hitter and be a little bit more patient at the plate in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and jump over to the uh, the Kansas or sorry the Detroit Tigers. Um, and the, the player that we wanted to mention here is Heimer Candelario. You know, we had talked a lot about Akil Badu or maybe even Jonathan Scope. Um, but Candelario is a guy who's kind of really flew under the radar for them this year. A 271 average, a 351 on base, a 443 slugging, a 119 WRC plus, 3.1 war. So he led the team in war. 16 homers, you know, 75 runs, 67 RBIs. Just a, a really solid year. I believe he was their everyday third baseman. I um, yeah. I think he's everyday third base. I th- they they got him in the Castellanos trade, didn't they? No, they no? got him for Justin Wilson and Alex. Avila. That's right. It wasn't the Castellanos one. It yeah. Was the other so one. I mean, they, this is a guy that you know he's had a couple of decent seasons for them so far, but uh, this is kind of his best season. A little bit of a breakout. Um, he he's kind of just a, a solid all around player. Does everything pretty well. Doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but. Um, you know, they got him for pretty much nothing, and, you know, he's been a really solid player for them, and I look for him to continue that and be a solid player going forward. But, um, you know, definitely definitely something to look at for the Tigers, who uh, record-wise ended up a little bit better than I think most people were expecting. Um, you know, I think people looked at them as probably, a, you know, a 9,500-loss team, and they ended up winning 77 games, um, had a winning record at home, had some good moments. Got to watch uh, Miguel Cabrera hit number 500 this year. So the Tigers kind of had a little bit of an improvement this year. Uh, first year for AJ Hinch was success there. But moving on, um, looking at the number four team in this division by one game behind the behind the Tigers. Uh, excuse me, three games behind the Tigers, and that would be uh, the Kansas City Royals. And who do we have here? Yeah, so we kind of have uh, two people we wanted to shout out. One is Nicky Lopez, who just had a, a great season overall. I mean, he's not a big power hitter, um, but a, a good contact on base guy. You know, 300 average, 365 on base. You know, the slugging's going to be low, but a, a 106 WRC plus and a 4.4 WAR. Great defensive player as well. Just a overall, you know, really solid player. And it, honestly, if it had not been for Salvador Perez, you know, leading the league as a catcher in homers and RBIs. Um, you know, he would have been the easy choice, but Salvador Perez is, you know, one of the guys, it's just an insane season that a catcher 
is able to lead the league in homers and RBIs. It's very often or very rare you see anything like that. Yeah, and you talk about uh, you know Salvador Perez with his 48 home runs. That's just an incredible season. But it's funny, you know, Nicky Lopez led that team by a full run. I mean, by a full um, by a full win and wins above replacement, which is pretty crazy. And, and mainly because Salvador Perez was as good as he was at the plate, was absolutely atrocious behind the plate this year. So um, definitely something to look for there. Um, pretty surprising to see Nicky Lopez up there, and you know, a nine percent walk rate for a guy that. Um, you know that doesn't ever hit for power is, is pretty pretty impressive because you know, as, a, as a power hitter a lot of teams a lot of guys that you're scared of a lot of power hitters throw throw the ball outside the zone try to keep them from hitting home runs but um, for a guy like uh for a guy like you know uh, Nicky Lopez guy hit two home runs this year um, you know you have to have a very good eye because they're just gonna attack you if you don't hit home runs and that's something that he did great this year was was get on base and 365 on base with a guy with his kind of speed is, is really, really, really solid. So uh, definitely a great season for Nicky Lopez. Yeah, it really is. Um, let's go ahead into the, to the team we had in the base or was in the basement of this division. And that's the Minnesota twins. Uh, we wanted to give a shout out to Jorge Polanco. Yeah. Jorge Polanco is a guy who's been a, a pretty solid player for them for a while. But uh, you know, this year, uh, you know, after, after struggling a little bit last year, um, he put up a four win above replacement season. There weren't too many, there are not too many people talking about him, but he moved to second base, uh, you know, improved a little bit defensively playing there, um, after, uh, you know, with, with Angelton Simmons being their shortstop, um, you know, a, a 122 WRC plus, uh, with a 269 average, 323 on base, 503 slugging, hit 33 home runs, which is by far a career high. So, uh, the guy who really improved his power stroke this year. And, um, you know, he, he, was, he was really solid and, um, you, you know, it's it, really encouraging to look, look for the for the twins to see him have a, have a great year. And, uh, you know, he's under control for a few more years on a pretty good contract. So guy to, to kind of build around as they re, we kind of retool there in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we're going to look at the, the division uh, <laughs> predictions that we had, uh, we both or I had the Minnesota twins winning it. So. They went from uh, winning in mind to being last in this division in, uh, in the real world. But you had the White Sox winning, the Twins in second. Uh, we both had the Indians, Royals, and Tigers third, fourth, and fifth in this division. So Twins kind of blowing it for uh, for both of us. You know, I think we both had them as a uh, as wild card teams or in the playoffs at least. So Yeah, Twins dealt with a lot of injuries this year. Yeah. And they had some underperformance from a couple pitchers. But, um, you know, they um, – you know, it was tough. I mean, they had to trade away a few guys at the deadline, and uh, they had a really tough year, and we'll see if they're able to figure it out going forward next year. But uh, moving on, uh, last division to talk about real quick uh, is the American League West. And in the AL West, we had the Astros win the division. Uh, that was um, that was a very, very impressive season for them. And who was the, who was the guy who kind of led that, that, that team this year? Uh, so the guy we went with was uh was Kyle Tucker. You know, you could have went with Correa or Altuve or, or any of the, the main guys. You know, even Jordan had a great season. But the the breakout that Kyle Tucker kind of had, you know, he got that everyday role this year. He'd kind of been a platoon player before for them. But 140 games this year, 30 home runs, um, 92 RBIs, 14 stolen bases, uh, 294 average, a 359 on base percentage. A 147 WRC plus and a, a season war of, of 4.8. It's 
it was a real breakout season for Kyle Tucker. And, uh, you know, part of the reason that, you know, we weren't so high on the Astros to begin with is because the loss of George Springer and Kyle Tucker pretty much made up for that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, moving forward uh, in this division, the, the most one, probably the second most surprising team in baseball behind the Giants was the Seattle Mariners. And um, from their team, they had a lot of candidates for this. And, you know, the main one probably was, um, you know, Ty France, who put up a, you know, easily breakout season. But uh, I wanted to talk about someone else because we did talk about Ty France a good bit. Uh, I want to talk about J.P. Crawford, who nobody has really mentioned too much, but he he's a really solid shortstop. Uh, very, very good defensive player. He came over in the Segura trade to Seattle a few years ago, and, uh, you know, he's put up, a, put up a really solid statistics this year. Was an above-average hitter in the league for the first time. 273 average, 338 on base. 376 slugging isn't great, but uh, you look at his plate discipline being really solid. 8% walk rate, just the 16% strikeout rates. Not pretty good numbers there. That league, above league average hitter. Um, is, is, a, is a good thing to see for a shortstop, and, and especially for a guy who's a fantastic defensive shortstop. So um, really nice year for, uh, for J.P. Crawford and, uh, you know, kind of a guy you can look at as a building block for them to, for them going forward. Yeah, J.P. Crawford, a guy who kind of we, uh, you know, we've talked about before that the, the Phillies kind of threw away in that Segura trade and kind of just blindsided him. So good to see that uh, he's, you know, finally finding his stride in the major leagues because, uh, you know, he came up as one of the, most exciting prospects to come into the game. But we'll jump over to Oakland and, and do the player that we wanted to shout out here. It's actually going to be pitcher Frankie Montas. Um, you know, he has been a guy who had, he's been traded a couple times, got suspended for drugs, even at one point. Um, and then people weren't sure if he was ever going to be, you know, durable enough to be a starter. And he came out this year in 32 starts, 187 innings pitched a 337 ERA, a 337 FIP. So, I mean, that's identical. It backed it up exactly with an X FIP of 364. Um, you know, it's just a really good season for Frankie Montas after everything he's went through to kind of, you know, finally find stable footing in the majors and prove that, you know, he's a, not just a good pitcher, but he can be an upper rotation arm. Um, yeah, so. fantastic, fantastic season for him. Uh, 187 innings, like you said, 9.96 strikeouts per nine was really nice to see. Uh, cut his walk rate from last year by a good bit. And, uh, you know, he's this is his second two out of three years that he's put up, you know, fantastic rate statistics. Um, you know, of course, 2019, only 16 starts. But but this year, you know, put up similar rate numbers to what he did 20 in uh, 2019. So, um, you know, this is a guy who, who really is a, a, a solid piece for them going forward. Um, but moving on um, to the fourth place team, the Angels finished at 77 and 85. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a really up and down season. Uh, they missed badly missed Mike Trout and, uh, and, um, Anthony Rendon, you know, to injuries for most of the year. But, uh, you know, guy that kind of had a little bit of a breakout this year there was, uh, Jared Walsh hit 29 home runs in 144 games, a 277 average 340 on base and 509 slugging for a 127 WRC plus. Really uh, solidified himself as the first baseman of the future there in L.A. after, uh, you know, Albert Pujols moved home. Yeah, they, they kind of just needed to get him an opportunity and, and trading Pujols away, kind of giving him that runway, and he kind of took it and ran with it for sure. So good uh, good season for Jared Walsh. It's going to be exciting watching him, you know, kind of grow and move forward. But let's go ahead and move over to the last team in this division. I think it's the team that 
most of us expected to be the worst team in the league this year. Um, but that's going to be the Texas Rangers. Not many bright spots here. You know, it, Joey Gallo still led this team in, in war and he was traded at the deadline. So that should tell you pretty much everything you need to know about the, uh, the Texas Rangers. Adolos Garcia was a guy who we could have talked about, but uh, he kind of really fell off at the end of the year. Um, just the season overall doesn't look great. So we ended up going with Nate Lowe, um, a guy who got traded from Tampa Bay over here um, to Texas. I believe, I forget what the trade was, but uh, you know, he really had struggled the first half of the year and then kind of later in the, in the second half, right after the all-star break, picked it up a little bit more, 264 average of 357 on base, a 115 WRC plus and a 1.6 war, just solid season overall. You know, he still has a lot of strikeout rates, so he's got to try and find a way to, to cut that down, but a, you know, a big walk rate at 12.5%. So there's hope here and, uh, you know, Texas just trying to find anybody right now. So. Yeah, he had a good offensive season. He's got to work on himself at the, on the defensive end, though. Uh, you know, had a really poor season um, at first base, which is pretty bad. But uh, he definitely needs to work on that. But it, he, he should be able to, to do better than the negative 15 defensive value. And, you know, look forward. I mean, he, he might even end up being a guy that DHs and, and improves on that. You know, that, that really hurt his overall value this year. But, um but uh, definitely an interesting season in the West. What were our, what did our predictions look like there? Oh boy! So here we go on this one. We both had the Angels winning the division. Uh, we both had the Astros finishing second in the division. Uh, you actually had the Mariners in third, the A's in fourth, and then the Rangers at the bottom. I had Oakland third, um, Seattle fourth, and then Texas uh, rounding out the bottom of this division. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I think that's. It, it's that's I think that's fair because you know the Angels missed the best player in baseball for for most of the season and and Rendon for for a good portion of the season as well so um, you know they probably wouldn't have finished first but they definitely would have been closer in the running than they ended up with with those guys playing so yeah overall so that's that's pretty much how things ended right now uh, or how things ended for the season breakdown. Uh, we'll jump over and start previewing these wild card games real quick, and let's go ahead and start in the American League, where we're going to get the uh, probably the biggest rivalry in baseball, and that's going to be the Yankees and Red Sox. Yeah, so the American League wild card game is tomorrow night, um, and the Yankees playing at in Boston. Uh, you know, they tied in the standings. They, obviously, these teams are so familiar with each other. Um, the Yankees are going to have Garrett Cole going for them, which uh, is very, very good that they were able to get that lined up and still hold on to their division, uh, or, or hold on to their, uh, you know, hold on to that, that their position in the wild card. Um, you know, and then Nate Evaldi, uh has been fantastic this year, and Ona, when you look at the metrics, has been every bit as good as Cole. So uh, this will definitely be an interesting matchup. Um, you know, obviously the Yankees and Red Sox, a lot of history, a lot of team, a lot of playing each other. That crowd is going to be absolutely raucous in Boston, and I can't wait to see what happens there. I, I don't. It's hard to make a pick, but man, some, some, something tells me the Red Sox, with their consistency of their lineup, are going to be able to win this game. And they're probably going to have a little chip on their shoulder because you remember just recently the Yankees went into Boston. I they, yep. didn't they sweep they them? Did. They swept them. And yes. Was, yeah. And that and that pretty much put the Yankees in the driver's seat, you know, of that. And then and then Boston was able to make it up. The Yankees struggling there at the end um, against having to face Tampa. But I, it, you definitely there is going to be that that environment's going to be insane. The Yankees and Red Sox environments are already insane. 
let alone if it's basically a game seven moment. It's going to be a winner go home game. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be interesting to see how each one of these pitchers live up to the moment because I don't think we've ever seen, you know, Evaldi had that big with in the World Series where he pitched like the 18 innings. Cole pitched with the Astros some, but I don't think either one of them have ever been in a, a winner go home game. So it's going to be interesting to see how they both Please. react to it. I believe Cole actually pitched the wild card game um, back when he was with the Pirates and they played the Cubs. Yeah, he's a he's a way different pitcher now though, so exactly. it's going to be so it's it's interesting to see. He yeah, have experience in that. Yeah, uh, so that, I did forget he did pitch that game, but he's completely different than what he was then. Um, you know, back in Pittsburgh, so it's going to be it's going to be insane for sure. And, and you know, like I said, it, this that in that rivalry already on top of this moment, it's going to be insane yeah so. and one 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 last thing to look at there is they did line up cole but he has struggled badly in september and he's dealt with a little bit of an injury so it'll be very interesting to see how healthy he looks uh starting this game and uh you know it, like you said winter go home game you never know what you might see out of the bullpens you might see somebody coming in pitch that, that's typically a part of the starting rotation you know chris sell pitched on sunday but he didn't pitch but, but a couple innings so, um, you know, you might end up seeing like a Chris Sale pitch in this game yep. or something out of the bullpen. You just never know. So very, very uh, definitely going to be an interesting game and a, and a fun game to watch tomorrow night. Very much so. But uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the National League Wild Card game, which will be taking place Wednesday. Um, that's going to be between the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Um, and the, they both lined up there pretty much aces. The Dodgers are going to have Max Scherzer going and the Cardinals are going to have Adam Wainwright going. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Dodgers, I mean, you, you say they lined up their ace, but, you know, like, they have four of them, so it's kind of hard not to line up one. But Well, Kershaw um, got injured, so. That's right. They, Kershaw did get injured, and that, that could really affect them going forward later in the postseason. But, I mean, you've got a, you got a guy, you know, in, in Scherzer who has so much experience play, pitching in big games like this that, you know, it'll be it'll be definitely interesting to see how he, he does. Uh, and then you look on the other side, and Adam Wainwright just had such a great – resurgence this year at, at age i think he's age 39 and you know we talked about him a lot but uh, it's going to be a very very interesting matchup i think uh you know kind of the key to it is you look at the, the dodgers and you know they've they got to figure out um they got to figure out how to wait right you've said they haven't hit him all that well have they no they haven't hit him at all and then uh, another thing that to, to think of that I, we haven't mentioned yet but that's um, that the Dodgers have lost Max Muncy as well. Yes. He got injured um, on a play at first base, and it's not looking good. It's a left elbow injury. Um, they haven't exactly yeah. said what it is, but they did say that it's highly unlikely that he's even available for the playoffs. So not just a wild card game, but even you know going forward. And, and he's been one of their you know their big time players in the postseason and one of their most consistent um, hitters this season. So that's going to be a big loss. They're going to have to try and figure out. Um, you know, is Bellinger or Pujols going to be playing first base there? Um, and, and what, you know, the, it's just a big loss trying to figure out Wainwright and losing one of your big key bats there. Yeah, can you imagine Albert Pujols facing the Cardinals in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a winner-take-all game, that would that'd be, that'd be pretty crazy. So I'm kind of pulling for that. I'm pulling for uh, Albert Pujols to play first base in this game, although I, I would kind of assume it'd be Bellinger. But, um, but yeah, so uh, definitely an interesting game. I mean, I think – Pretty much everybody's gonna have their money on uh, on LA to take this game, but uh, you never know. The Cardinals, since we've said they've been the hottest team in baseball recently, um, they've got a really experienced pitcher on the mound. 
and uh, you know they they're a team that is definitely uh, definitely looking you know like they could they could potentially ruin a hundred hundred six win season in, in one game. So uh, this is going to be a very very interesting game, and, and both of these games just look super entertaining for for wild card matchups. You know you look at the Dodgers as a team that. You know, having to play this one-game playoff as a, as being the, the considered the best team in baseball all year, uh, you know, because they lost by one game to the Giants, and that that's just such a big deal. And then that makes that game so intriguing. And then you look at the other end, and, and you know, there's nothing there's nothing like a elimination playoff game between the Red Sox and the Yankees in the postseason. So, uh, and and all these teams in this in this with the maybe the exception of the Cardinals are real threats to win the World Series too, in, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I think um, definitely going to be interesting, and uh, I'm super excited to see the outcome of these two games in the next couple of days, and then move on to move on to the uh, division series after that. Yeah, so uh, we'll come back on Wednesday night um, after the Dodgers and Cardinals game is over and kind of do a, a, a recap of what happened in the wild card games and then preview the rest of the series because those do start the American League um, series, division series start on Thursday um, and then the National League division series start on Friday. Um, so we will bring you guys another episode after the wild card games and we'll make our postseason predictions in that episode um, and, and figure that all out. I know. Sorry that this is such a long episode. We really wanted to be able to wrap this the season up on the the breakdown and not have to worry about coming back to it later and and just be able to focus on the the postseason and then going forward. We don't have to worry about looking back at all at, at these. So sorry for the for rambling on right here and you know making it speed up there in the middle of the episode. But we didn't uh, we didn't want to make this too long. But we're still going to be looking at close to an hour and a half episode. So thank you guys for uh, for keeping with us. Yeah. Thanks everybody. And uh, like I said, we'll uh, we'll be back Wednesday. So for this episode of the Batfoot Podcast, we're signing off. Hope you guys enjoy the wild card games. Mm-hmm.